0: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. The Iliad, the first great book of Western civilization, a story often referred to as if we already know it, or should. I thought I was supposed to love Homer's epic poem, woven together from oral histories of the final critical weeks of the Trojan War, written some 3,000 years ago. But I recall being confused and let down when I first tried to get through its unpronounceable list of Greek and Trojan soldiers boarding ships for battle, dense pedigrees of dozens of characters. Well I have been re re-reading, rereading it and I am a new convert. Thanks in part to Stan Lombardo, who published a highly praised modern English translation back in nineteen ninety seven. The goal of his translation is for the Iliad to be spoken aloud, and it will be this weekend to commemorate the one hundredth anniversary of the Michael C. Carlos Museum at Emory University. Lombardo is Professor Emeritus of Classics at the University of Kansas in Atlanta for the reading as I will be but I've invited him here to talk about bringing these ancient words to life. Stan, welcome and thank you for being here.
1: It's wonderful to be here. Thank you.
0: So you, of course, are an Iliad evangelist. You know, you've been teaching classics for decades. But may I take advantage of your, your experience and, and give us a little bit of basics, you know, a little bit of Iliad for dummies, if, if that's Okay.
1: Iliad for Dummies. And the, as you said, the Iliad is uh, a poem that was actually composed around the year 800 B.C., probably without the aid of writing. It probably wasn't written down until you know, the 500s uh, uh, in Athens. It's about 400 pages long uh, in English translation and about that long in Greek. It's set in the last year, the 10th year of the Trojan War, the war uh, that was fought between the Greeks and the Trojans. The Greeks invaded Troy to win back Helen.
0: Helen of Troy, you know, real, the face that had, launched a thousand ships. Yes,
1: Helen of Sparta, the Greeks would have said, you know, because Paris abducted her. Maybe she went willingly. And uh, the Greeks launched an enormous invasion uh, to win her back. The Iliad uh, centers on uh, an episode in the tenth year of the war when Agamemnon, the commander-in-chief, has to give up his prize, that is, the woman he won, and this was his war prize, uh, because uh, the priest, uh, her father, the priest Calchas, um, prayed to Apollo to cause the Greeks a terrible plague, and uh, he, he was forced to give her back, but uh Achilles argued uh, with Achilles argued with Agamemnon and the result was that uh, Agamemnon appropriated Briseis Achilles prize that's what sets the action in the Iliad eventually this rage against Priam and some of the Greek army is redoubled and redirected when Achilles beloved friend Patroclus is killed by Hector. So that's a big turning point. Mm -hmm. He finally kills Hector, desecrates Hector's body, commits what we would call war crimes, sacrificing 10 Trojan boys uh, on the the funeral pyre of uh, Patroclus, and is finally redeemed at the very end of the Iliad by Priam, king of Troy, who makes his way at night to Achilles' hut sits next to him kisses the hand that has killed his son and Achilles relents allows Hector's desecrated body to be returned the god Apollo has kept it uh, intact and free from corruption and the Iliad ends with the funeral of Hector which symbolizes the resolution of uh, Achilles' rage so that's how it hangs together as a story
0: Did this battle actually happen, or is this a mythic battle?
1: It probably did happen. Um, some later Greek uh, commentator, uh, Dio Chrysostom, said, Well, you know, actually. Uh, the Greeks didn't win the war; the Trojans won the war. So it's <laughs> this not is, really <laughs> the first
0: story of spin, actually, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on some level.
1: So we don't know, but there was some kind of invasion, some kind of war, and Troy has been excavated, and it looks like yeah, something happened there. <laughs> you
0: know? So, but it does center around war and violence and heroism in many ways. These yes, topics that are so resonant to us today, and we know that veterans' groups are now performing parts of no, that's the, the Iliad, right. yeah. and they, they teach it at West Point. Yes, uh, uh, it's thought to have been. And Alexander the Great is thought to have slept with a copy of it in his pillow. A,
1: a, a copy hand-corrected by Aristotle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we're saying is that in many ways, this forms our our picture of war as bringer of glory to young fighters and destroyer of lives, you know, post-conflict destruction. It has shaped so much of the way that we approach yes, it, war and conflict.
1: It has, and not only destruction of lives, but destruction of moral character, mm-hmm. as Jonathan Shea uh, makes clear in uh, two books, uh, Achilles in Vietnam. Right. Jonathan Shea was a psychiatrist working with PTSD, Vietnam uh, veterans, and he just happened to read uh, the Iliad in the late 1980s and noticed that the speeches in the Iliad sounded like the transcripts from his patients. And so he really dove into it. And uh, He has a sequel, uh, Odysseus in America, what happens to the veterans when they return home. Uh, so it's uh, really caught on uh, in the circles that you just mentioned, uh, thanks to Jonathan Shea.
0: Right, and he, he calls them moral wounds, doesn't he? That these wounds, are yeah. that, that people yeah. cannot see but deep within us. But of course, it yeah. is not all uh, blood and gore and violence. There's a great deal of comic relief in the way that the gods behave.
1: Yeah, the gods are mostly there for comic relief. <laughs> The way they quarrel among themselves, and Athena and Hera plotting against Zeus, and see what they can do, and um, the gods—there uh, are no consequences of anything for the gods. You know, uh, they can do whatever they want. They're,
0: they're moving players yeah. around yeah. That, on the field. That, that,
1: that's right. Uh, but the other uh, aspect of the Iliad that sometimes is overlooked is the presentation of women and how their lives uh, are affected. Uh, so I'd urge. If you're coming to the performance, and I hope you do, pay attention to the scenes where Helen, for Mm -hmm. instance, appears at at the very beginning, and she comes in twice more. And Andromache, uh, Hector's wife, who also has several appearances, and Hecuba, uh, the wife of Priam, uh, king of Troy. And the Iliad actually ends with uh, three speeches, one by each of these women, at the very end of the poem.
0: Yeah, it's it's what's peculiarly merciless about war to women and children, those yeah. who are not on the battlefield. I'm speaking with Stan Lombardo. He's Professor Emeritus of Classics at the University of Kansas. And we, he and I, along with other local actors, are going to be reading his translation of the Iliad on stage this weekend at Emory University. The whole weekend, basically. It seems so, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a long one. Um, the, the Iliad begins with the words. How would you translate those first words, we say, Sing, goddess, the wrath of Achilles' son.
1: Uh, yes, that's another translation. I began rage, sing, goddess, Achilles, rage. So I repeat the word at the, be- at the end of the line. So well. what so about what? What, the is,
0: what does that distinction bring to uh, us?
1: So the word in Greek, the first line of the Iliad in Greek, is men in naedetha Pelea, Achilles <laughs> Manus is a word that can be translated as anger, wrath, or rage. It is only used of Achilles. Otherwise, it's only the gods have manus. So wrath is a good translation because we think of a wrathful god. We don't think of gods in, in a rage. But uh, Achilles' uh, anger is much more than wrath. It's an all-consuming rage that's destroying his character. So that's different from divine, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: So you have a, well, let's say, I don't think Homer was any kind of peacenik, I think. Yeah.
1: He wasn't a peacenick, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> but he was not looking at the horror of war necessarily. You, it sounds to me as if that's one of the things you are pulling from this. The horror yeah. of,
1: of war. I think he is aware of the horror of war and uh, the glory that human heroes get from war. Uh, I think he looks at war as something like destiny, something that you simply have to put up with. It's simply there. It's part of the human condition. It's not as if he's for it or against it, uh, but it becomes uh, the background for human drama.
0: We did mention that this is something that many veterans are working with right now, this kind of ancient text. And here's a former Navy SEAL. His name is James Hatch. He's a freshman in college at the age of 52 at Yale, I think, talking about the Iliad when he spoke with NPR's Mary Louise Kelly.
1: What class are you on the way to? Uh, literature. Literature. All right. Well, We're going to discuss the
0: Iliad, which me off, but I have to get through it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is
0: it you off? I think it gives the reader an unrealistic view of war and
1: honor and things like that.
0: What do you think, Stan? Uh,
1: does he say an animalistic view of war? No,
0: he said unrealistic. Oh,
1: unrealistic view of war. Uh, some people think that um, Homer's description of wounds and so forth was so accurate that he must have been a field surgeon, huh. actually. But others think, you know, this isn't how it happens. Um, the wars that we are familiar with, uh, the deaths are horrible and lingering. Uh, no, no one lingers in the Iliad. Uh, they're, they're struck by an arrow or spear or sliced through with a sword, and they're dead uh, immediately. That's not usually how death happens uh, on a battlefield. We don't have any of the stench, miasma that uh, actually is uh, part of war. So I understand, uh, you know, where the student is coming from.
0: Well, I have to say, for me, you know, this language of, you know, killing Trojans on foot from chariots, horses charging into battle with foam and manes blazing, it was so alive to me, and in a way.
1: Homer does bring things to life, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> does.
0: And you've helped <laughs> do that. He's a supreme poet. But you have said that your performance is the beginning and end point of the Iliad. How does performing transform these words on the page?
1: Yeah. So I first uh, encountered uh, the Iliad in, in Greek when I was about this student's age, I, I, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, m- poetry was my life, uh, but I had no idea. This, here was an immortal river of poetry when I first started to read Homer in Greek. And I had memorized and recited reams of English poetry. So this, this was so obvious to me. This poetry is meant to be performed. So my translation of the Iliad actually began as scripts for performance. I would translate it a little, convene a little audience and do it. And I got through the whole thing uh, that way. It definitely was. It existed as performance for hundreds of years before it was written right. down. Right. That's what's yeah. so special about yeah.
0: performing. But how rare is it to get a performance of the Iliad? It's quite rare. Yes, it's a <laughs> Actually, long commitment. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but there's kind of a contradiction in your desire to perform the Iliad versus spending a lot of time in deep historical documents to decide what Homer is saying. How how do you balance that?
1: I don't think I spend a lot of time in deep historical documents. I learned uh, Greek. I have you know, a PhD in classical languages. I can read Homer uh, readily, and I just let the text speak for itself. I, I always have one of the learned commentaries open as I'm translating, make sure I don't miss anything. Um, but it, it, it's alive for me. I read the Greek out loud before I translate it uh, into English. I, I try to bring it to life in Greek. Now, what can I do with this as a poet uh, in English? That's my process.
0: Well, I, I, as I've said, have the zeal of a new convert, but if somebody out there is listening and has never engaged in any way with the Iliad, how would you encourage them forward?
1: Give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you just pick up, well, of course, my translation is what I'm recommending, uh, and you Try to bring it to life yourself. Don't read it silently. Uh, Pretend that you're a great actor. And everyone is a great actor, actually. (laughs) Well, this is how we get through life. <laughs> and get into it that way. That would be my recommendation.
0: Well, I'm going to be hamming it up with you, Stan. I'm looking forward I to it. I really am. <laughs> Stan Lombardo, <laughs> Professor Emeritus of Classics at the University of Kansas. And we will both be, along with local actors, reading his translation of the Iliad on stage this weekend at Emory University. By the way, it begins with those words... Well, you're going to hear a lot more of them if you come and visit us at Emory at the three-day reading beginning at 7 o'clock tonight at the Michael C. Carlos Museum at Emory.